Hi, I'm Oki, and welcome to Tell Me About Your Book. Welcome back to another episode of Tell Me About Your Book. I'm really excited to be talking to author Brian Pagel because his book is extremely unique and it's really extraordinary from what I see so far. But I want him to tell me all about it, though. Hi, Brian. How are you today? I'm doing great, Oki. Thanks for talking with me today. This is so cool. This is exciting. I kind of want to go ahead and talk about how your book is set up before you tell me all about it. Okay, so first, guys, it's a collection of short stories, all 365 short stories, one per day for a year. And then as the days go, you have one word less and less, right? It starts with 365 words. So it's kind of like a countdown, but by wording. Anyway, I still think it's amazing and brilliant. Can you kind of tell me the setup? Because I don't think I gave it justice, what I just said. Sure. So <laughs> what I did, and it, it's all kind of set in 2014, just one day in May of 2014, I decided I wanted to try and try to write a story a day. It kind of came about from this old story I heard about Ezra Pound, but I thought I should try and write a short story every day. And I just sort of hit on the idea of starting out with a story of 365 words, and then each day... I would write a story with one less word in it. And so I wanted to see if I could do that and keep writing shorter and shorter stories, getting it down to ultimately a one-word story. And I wasn't sure at the outset if I could do that, but I had a year to kind of think about it and plan it too. So that's kind of what I set out to do. And I, I wasn't at the time thinking of making a book or of, of doing anything more than just writing this as kind of a thing to, for myself. Um, and so as I was going along, I treated it sort of like a journal or diary like I would write the story and then I'd write myself a little note or blurb about it as though I was writing a journal. And as it went on, you know, I would talk about how I came about the idea of the first of the story or just what had been going on in my life at that point. And after about two months, it was really kind of shaping up that it, I, I felt like it was becoming a project that could be something, you know, rather than just something to kind of keep busy and, you know, work on my writing as a craft, it was actually shaping itself into what it ultimately became, which is sort of a collection of short stories, sort of a memoir, and a combination of those two that really kind of goes through what I was going through that year while I'm also sort of struggling with coming up with this new story every day. How was the writing that the struggle part? How was it writing the really intense part? Not even like having to count down your words, just having to explore the intense part, period. What was really kind of interesting as I was writing is, I mean, you know, writing has always been in, in one sense sort of easy to me. I have a lot of ideas and it's just a matter of sort of getting them down on paper and making sure they turn into something rather than these sort of unformed sort of you know blurbs of stories. And so the nature of what I began trying to do really helped me shape those into stories and decide when an idea was a good idea or not. What was really kind of difficult is I'm used to writing, you know, kind of very long things. When I used to have a blog, you know, people would constantly refer to my blog as the too long, didn't read blog, you know, so, <laughs> and it was, it was a long one. So, you know, getting it down to even 365 words is, is really hard. And, you know, you start. You went with, the opposite, Brian. Right. You know, so that's a big challenge. Yeah, it was, it, you know, you, you have to give a lot of thought when you first start to write the story about how you're going to present it, because you, know, you can't write a 2000 word story and cut that down to 300 words. 
it just won't work. So you have to, you know, after a while I learned you have to kind of set out to write a short, short story um, and then see if you can pare it down a little more. And there were times, there were some days where I ended up having to write two and I think at one point three stories because I couldn't get them down enough, but I also didn't want to abandon the story. So I kept those for other projects and then kept working until I would, you know, get the story for that day and have it ready to go. I remember taking a a creative writing course in college and one of our assignments was it has to only be a hundred words. That's it. Not one less or one more. And that was, that was a whole week of challenges for me. So I can't imagine what you went through doing this whole entire book. Your book is titled Translated from the Original Shark, A Year of Stories. Can you tell me what you meant about the original shark? Sure. As I was working on the book, the working title is actually just 66,795 words, which is, if you do the math, a 365-word story plus 364, et cetera, is how many words there should have been. And then when we sent it to Golden Fleece, they they liked that, but thought it'd be better if we came up with a little better one. So there is a story in the uh, 300 branch of the stories titled Chomp. And then the subtitle is written by Shark, translated from the original Shark. So it's a story um, told in sort of a concrete poem fashion, told from the perspective of a shark telling a story. And that was the one, I I guess, according to my publisher, that was sort of the one that clinched them deciding to publish it because (laughs) she said she got choked up when she read the story. You know, I did when I wrote it, too. And I don't know if you can see on the video here, I'm I'm getting kind of goosebumps. (laughs) It's a sad, like weird story, you know, so you end up feeling, I think, kind of sorry for this shark. The idea that a shark could tell a story that would make you feel sorry for the shark and that you'd have to translate that kind of crystallized exactly what this book was about. That's just it's an unusual sort of book that you're not really going to see another one of, I think. of. I know that always sounds like bragging when I say it. And I, I'm from the Midwest. I'm supposed to be humble. But I really <laughs> think this is a book that's not like anything else I've ever seen out there. I never think that authors brag about their book. I've always been a believer of that is your work. I want you to talk all about it. I want you to tell me every single amazing thing about it, even like reviews and anybody that stops you be like, it was amazing. Tell me all about it because I'm a big supporter of that. But anyway, (laughs) so with this book, because they're short stories, there's little excerpts of this and that. Is it something that people would have to read from beginning to end to really get the full effect of the the countdown, kind of? Or There's a, a lot of different ways you could read it. You know, I mean, you could, you know, I wrote it a story a day with a little blurb. And I, I think that's obviously probably the longest, most tedious way to read it would be to try and read it that way, one at a time. But I think that you can do a couple of different things. You can certainly read it straight through just reading a little bit at a time or you know, however you like to read stuff. I think to get the full effect of the book, you'd want to read it in order, but probably parcel it out and do, you know, just a couple of stories at a time. That's partly me. I've always found with books of short stories, if you read too many in a row, they blur together and you don't necessarily, I, I don't, at least I don't remember them that well, although I'm kind of notorious for not remembering the endings of books too. Like I just in and out of me. Other people have told me that what they, they do is they just sort of sample around in it. Like they'll open it up to a random section, read a few stories, biographical notes, and the notes about the stories and things are all end noted at the back. And so they'll read three or four stories and then go read, you know, a couple of the end notes and kind of read about them. And I think that's an equally valid way to do it. There's no one way to experience it. And with short stories, especially, what I think it comes through is if you, whether you read it straight through to the end or, you know, kind of dip in and out and read different ones, 
it'll create a sort of picture in your mind, not only of, you know, like I said, the sort of autobiographical portions of it, but just of, you know, what's going on with the stories and, you know, where they're coming from and how they're alike, how they're different, whether there's running themes. The only thing I think that is warranted in terms of reading it straight through would be two. I mean, one, you know, like you said, sort of the expectation of as the stories get shorter, you're getting to that final one word story. And I always tell people, you know, nothing keeps you from skipping ahead and seeing what it is. But I think the impact of that story really hits after you've read the remainder of the book, um, gotcha. in part because mm-hmm. it sort of ties into what was going on in my life. That final story makes a lot more sense if you've read the whole book. But also, there's a bunch of stories that I ended up sort of serializing throughout. You know, there's one set of stories called Pirates of the dot, 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 you know, ellipsis. And each one tells a kind of different installment of these two women who are friends and who decide to invent a device that creates multiverses. And so in each multiverse, they have a different kind of life. And you know, they start to deal with the ethical ramifications of what they're doing in that they are literally creating multiverses. And there's another series of stories. Uh, they're all titled, Why is a Raven Like a Writing Desk? And I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with that rule. It was from Alice in Wonderland. And I'd always been told that when Lewis Carroll wrote it, he didn't have an answer for the riddle in Alice in Wonderland. It never gets answered in the book, oh, I guess. Oh, Yeah tried to write stories, you know, about why would a raven be like a writing desk and kind of come at it from all kinds of different angles, one of which is a Christmas theme. You know, and I, I midway through the book as I was doing this, I happened to read an article about some of the old masters like Van Gogh and Monet, Edvard Munch that did the scream. And they talked about how Van Gogh would paint the same kind of scene over and over and over. And he was doing it because he wanted to see what he could get out of it each time, like what he would notice and what would stick out to him. I realize as I'm doing this, you know, kind of writing these stories about why is a raven like a writing desk, you're coming at the same thought from a different angle and you learn something about yourself and your story. And so, you know, as you read them in that order, I think they really kind of fill in and become more than the sum of their parts. That was such a great explanation and description. I love that. Thank you for that. That was amazing. It makes it sound like I had a plan going into this and I very much did not, (laughs) Um, you know, (laughs) <laughs> like midway through, I began to realize like just how much I'd, I'd bitten off here. But there comes a point in the project, too, where you're like, well, now I can't quit. You know, and again, Absolutely. I mean, I wasn't under contract or anything, but I would have felt terrible if I'd written, say, 120 stories in a row and not made it to the finish line, you know? Right. And so, then you owe, you owe your stories and yourself that duty to finish because you've come this far and you've opened up this this portal to these to your imagination, really, for lack of better words. But yeah, I definitely think you had to finish it. I, I like, you know, what you said there. I never thought about that way. You you owe your story to finish yeah. it. And I, I, I think that's a great way to put it because anyone who likes to write, whether you're, you know, John Grissom or someone selling a million copies or just someone, you know, sort of writing their own little poems in their notebook, you owe it to the things that you're creating to make them as good as possible. I like that. That's a, I'm going to, I'm going to keep that. I'm going to steal that from you. Yeah. You <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> right. That's good. I like that. <laughs> you decided to put brief notes throughout about each story. I'm not sure if you did it on each, every single one of them, but you did added some brief notes. What made you decide to want to, explain a little bit more into those into the ones that you selected so you know part of why i began this was like i said i was looking for something to sort of occupy my time and and what was going on that year i, I i'm in my day job i'm a lawyer and 
I was in the process of starting to leave um, the firm where I had been for 14 years and where I was a partner. And it was not, I guess it was not in any way a friendly process of doing that. And at the same time, um, my two young children have autism. My two of my youngest children have autism. They're boys. They're 17 now. And one was really struggling that year with sleeping. He has sleep interruptions. And so he would sometimes be up for days on end. And, you know, and one of us had to stay up with him and make sure he didn't you know, get into trouble or hurt himself. So all that was going on as I began to sit down and do this. And it was mostly a cathartic kind of thing that I would begin to write these stories and then kind of write these little notes that you'll see. And none of the notes are edited. They're exactly what I wrote at the time and kind of how I was going and feeling. Um, and it was more, like I said, kind of like a diary, like just for me to blow off some steam or kind of talk to myself. And a lot of these stories I would write, like sitting on the floor of my son's bedroom at 2 a.m. while I was waiting for him to fall asleep. Um, you know, and I'd be working on the story. And so you're just kind of by yourself in this dark room and, you know, waiting for him to kind of calm down. And so it was just sort of working through my own thoughts about everything that was going on. And sometimes those thoughts were about what was going on. And sometimes I would just sort of bury my head in the sand and talk about, you know, how I came up with the idea for the story. Um, but it was sort of a way of just kind of talking to someone. And that person was whoever would eventually read this, I guess. You know, but again, I, I mean, until well along the way, I didn't really have any any idea of publishing it as a book. Well, I'm glad you did. This yeah. is this is so brilliant because the whole time you're talking there, I kept thinking, you know, we all go to work, I go to work, I come home, I go to work, come home. And it's just a means to live, to pay bills and whatnot. But you're doing work that is more than just a routine. But to me, writers, you guys not only doing a craft that you enjoy the writing part, but you're digging so much deeper into why you're doing it and who your audience is. So this is why I truly appreciate authors and especially in the authors. You guys are so amazing. I, I'm like I'm such a biggest fan girl when it comes to this. But anyway, <laughs> when you're telling people about the book ultimately of these stories are you saying that there's a lot of like sci-fi a lot of fantasy a lot of human stories how are you pitching for somebody who just wants to know ultimately what are they getting out of it i would say about 90 percent of the book would be considered speculative fiction some of it you know sort of very kind of traditional science fiction, like the the women inventing their own universes. Some of it more kind of non-traditional, kind of offbeat speculative fiction. But there's a, a lot of fantasy elements in it, too. There's stories about witches and stories about ghosts and uh, stories about there's at least one story about a dragon that doesn't always look like a dragon. Then <laughs> there's what I think of as the boy or the man or the woman story. So there's a sort of an easy way out I found when I was feeling a little bit blocked. If you take, you know, just any sort of phrase about like the man who or the boy who or something, you can almost always write a story. So there was like, you know, the woman who always chooses flowers, the boy who lived underwater, things like that. And those are, you know, some of the more kind of speculative stories too, where they sort of move into a genre that's a little hard to characterize. Like there's one of my favorite stories in the book is called The Man Who Never Finished His. And when you read the story, it tells an entire story that is consists of all complete sentences, each of which is actually incomplete. Like they don't, they, they finish <laughs> up, each sentence finishes ambiguously. And it's just, it took me a long time to kind of craft it perfectly. I had, because I had the title, you know, the man who never finished his. And I probably worked about two hours on that story to get it to be a, a story that would fit that title. 
you know, for some reason, there are a lot of cowboy stories in there, and I'm not sure why. Like, <laughs> cowboys are just the thing that I think, you know, it's easy to write about them in a variety of different ways because you can kind of sort of slap a cowboy onto any theme and it, it already automatically, you know, adds something to it. Although, again, like there's two cowboys who uh, engage in a whole series of agreements where they say they will no longer be cowboys at the end of the year, but then they can't decide on exactly the year ends. You know, and so it's not like a typical sort of cowboy out on the. So there's a story about two cowboys who decide that at the end of the year, they will no longer be cowboys. They'll go do something else. And then they ultimately figure out like when the year ends, like they keep deciding maybe it really hasn't come to an end. Um, And so the idea, you know, kind of turning around with maybe they don't really want to quit, but also maybe there really isn't an end to that particular year. You know, and I sort of. You know, and, I, and again, kind of with everything that was going on in my life, there's that feeling like, you know, when the year ends, maybe things will be better. You know, we're always so optimistic at like New Year's. But when you think about it, it's just sort of this arbitrary thing. You know, January 1st is just the next day. It's just the next month or whatnot. It's right. funny you said that. I I have said so many times during like the beginning of this year saying it better be better. You know, it's right. going to be better. And then it was not and then i just kept saying what the hell like why why isn't it getting better but anyway so i was going to assume that the less words in each story as you shift it down toward one word the more difficult it was for you to write is that a good assumption or yeah. by then it was kind of it kind of manifested itself already like how was that writing once you get to the very low numbers once you so like between say 200 and 100 you're kind of in a groove because you now have a feel for what this is going to be like and you know a story of 150 words is still a reasonable amount of words to mess around with and then you know you kind of hit another speed bump when you get under 100 because now you're sort of shifting even what a story can be and you know so they become um in some cases they become a lot more abstract in some cases they become almost more partial, although I tried each time to make it a complete story. Like if you just picked up, say, The New Yorker, if I ever could get published, that'd be great. But if you picked up The New Yorker and read just this story, like story 43, I would want it to be a complete story. You know, you wouldn't have to know anything about the book or anything else to be like, oh, that's a story. That's interesting. So I really tried hard to do that. And I think I did it with each one, but it's definitely harder. You know, there was a few, I guess, sort of cheat days where I would continue one of those serialized stories because that's easier to do if you've read three installments before and you get to story 22 and it just kind of gives you another two sentences. <laughs> it kind of gets right. you in there. So there was a little bit of that, although I tried not to lean on that too heavily. Okay. With the really shorter ones, like when you get down in the 40s, I began kind of toying with the same concept over and over. I talked about the idea of like the raven and the writing desk. There's a series of stories called The Princess and the Frog where they all go kind of in a row. And it's The Princess and the Frog. Uh, the princess and the princess, the frog and the frog, and then I think the princess and the frog again. And it kind of, you know, keeps working through a variety of stories that way. And I think those work together because they become a larger theme, even though, you know, on their own, it would probably be unusual to read each one. So, gotcha. so the short answer to your question is it, it gets very difficult. <laughs> I am I'm so intrigued. I don't want you to spoil it, but I'm so intrigued how your stories become once you hit 20 and below and stuff. So... But like we said, we want to, you know, we owe it to the stories and your craft to, to me, to read from the beginning to end versus just kind of jumping the gun and going to like the lower numbers. 
But at least that's my take on it. I can actually tell you the one that sticks out in my head. Um, yeah, like I said, the please man, do. The Man Who Never Finishes was my favorite one. But the one that sticks in my head for some reason is called The Sad Little Robot. It's about a robot that's programmed to be sad. But he thinks that if he works hard enough, he can learn how to be happy and laugh. Oh, even though you know, he would have to be reprogrammed to do that. And I, you know, it's probably something about me more that that one sticks in my head. But of all the stories that I wrote in the book, like that's the one that, you know, I kind of find constantly popping into my head over and over to the point where I have a playlist of songs for when I'm feeling a little bit down on my Spotify. And it's actually called the sad little robot. You know, oh so, man. Yeah. So it's, you know, I mean, that's, that, that's probably my second favorite one in the, the book. Second only, I mean, like I said, I like the man who never finished is because of the craft work, but the sad little robot is the one that and chomp by the shark really kind of tug at my heartstrings are the ones where I feel like when you say, you know, you owe your stories, I feel like those are characters that I almost wish I hadn't created because I'm sorry they have to be in the stories that they're in. I also don't want to hate you, Brian, for reading and like enjoying The Sad Little Robot. And then I only get a snippet of that story. I would want to be like, can I, can you give me another, I don't know, a hundred pages about this robot or, or about the man that didn't finish or, you know, or whoever, because I feel like I would definitely be invested in these characters and then and then I get cut off pretty much. <laughs> but ultimately, this is a book that it's kind of right up my alley. I like to read little like I like to read all genres, but just kind of snippet of each genre. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry to say this, but like as much as I enjoy fantasy, but I'm I just can't get into like a like a 600 page book. So just getting like little taste of all these stories this is brilliantly done I like I said I might just hate you for it though because <laughs> I want more of it so any more plans beyond this for something similar to this um so I'm doing a couple of things uh, one is I, I'm working on a kind of longer but serialized story that is in the science fiction genre and then it has to do with more like a, the concept of superheroes uh, I describe it as if Les Miserables had starred the X-Men. That's kind of what I'm going for. And so that's a, a longer one that I want to see serialized and uh, that I'd lo- also like to see if I could turn into a graphic novel. I've started working on drawing things. Oh, I love that. I'm trying to get better at that. So I'm drawing a, a sample graphic novel of that. And then I've started, there's a story I'm writing called Artifacts, which is sort of a 1980s story about this world much like if our own world in the 1980s existed, but it existed on a planet where a group of superhuman giants had left behind all their stuff. And so that, and I'm actually serializing that piece by piece on Instagram under the book, uh, my book selling tab. So if people follow me on, it's uh, at Brian Pagel on Instagram, you'll see, you know, this show up as being serialized as artifacts. And I kind of like that because I like the idea of a serialized story um, you know, that's how Charles Dickens used to do that stuff. And like you say, you know, you're not necessarily committing to much, much if you're reading a chapter a month or something when it comes out, um, right. you know, as opposed to you know, like being told, hey, here's 10 books of Game right. of Thrones or something, you know. So <laughs> those are the things I'm kind of looking at. You know, having done a lot of short stories, I wanted to, you know, go back to kind of the longer form and see if I could work on that for a while. Oh, so, so cool. Well, I want to say thank you for introducing me into this variety of world and amazing things. So where can we get your book, Brian? So it is available at goldenfleecepress.com. That's the publisher. 
Uh, you can find it at, on Instagram. It's a little bit longer, but it's at Pumblechook Wopsles. Those are named <laughs> after two characters from Great Expectations. Oh, um, so okay. Pumblechook is uh, P-U-M-B-L-E-C-H-O-O-K. You can get it in physical form at Kismet Books in Verona, um, which is just if you're in or around Verona, Wisconsin, that is the most phenomenal bookstore I have ever seen. It's just, I love going in there. Half the time, I feel like I'm going to drop about half my salary in there. <laughs> it's one of those bookstores where not only does it have all the books you love, but you just feel like it makes you love books more. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. then it's available at a variety of online sites, like through thrift books and places like that. You can get it there. So, uh, and again, if people, you know, it's also available, I, I said, I'm, I'm on Instagram at Brian Pagel. Uh, and you can get it through the link in my bio there as well. I'm fascinated. Thank you, Brian, for this. Well, I'm going to have to let you go, but I want to say thank you for coming by and giving me all the amazing insight into your brain, really. Any last minute thing you want to tell me before we go? I really appreciate you having me on here. I hope people will pick up the book, take a look at it. Like I said, I mean, I think you will be amazed by the book. You know, one reviewer said it's writing as performance art and part of reading it is just kind of the picturing of the writing of the book. And I really, I I have a lot of soul invested in this book and the more people read it and the more people tell me that they read it, the happier I get because I worked so hard on it and I want them to appreciate it. We can feel the passion through this and your future works too, in which you have to come back. Tell me more about whenever you publish your next book or even about artifacts and things like that. But thank you so much for being here today. I'm fascinated. This is so cool, Brian. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Thanks very much for having me. (laughs) Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tell Me About Your Book. Please continue to support indie authors and indie bookstores. And if you would love to support Tell Me About Your Book podcast, you can certainly do so by going to buymeacoffee.com slash tellmepodcast where just for a price of a coffee, you can support monthly for just $5. There's other tiers too in the memberships and you can look at all the info about it. And I would certainly, certainly appreciate it. And of course, there's the other podcast, Books, Cats and Snacks, where Caddy and I talk all things book and about her cats too. See you then. Thank you. Bye-bye.